Hello and welcome to A History of the United States. Episode 83, Gooch. I know I've been away for a few weeks, but I'm very excited to announce that A History of the United States is now available in book form. If you'd like to buy volume one of A History of the United States, you can do so from Amazon. It covers episodes one through 60 and is a great way to support the show and I think it's a rather nifty addition to anyone's bookshelf. Last time out, we brought Virginia to the late 1720s and introduced Governor William Gooch, as well as some of the initial problems his administration was to face. This is where I want to begin today. I mentioned that Virginians were particularly resentful at outside influences in their administration. They didn't like the superior tone taken by the British. They felt as though their civil rights were being abused through the power of powerful figures back in the homeland. These feelings had been going on for a considerable amount of time following the increased involvement in colonial matters following Bacon's rebellion and were felt during the administration of Spotswood, but things had changed. I spoke at the end of the last episode about the rise of Sir Robert Walpole in Britain, and that he left colonial affairs to the Duke of Newcastle. Newcastle had a very hands-off approach, which would set the tone for British colonial policy until the Seven Years' War. However, there was still an issue with merchants. Members of the Virginia Council were frequently appointed because of behind-the-scenes machinations of British merchants, rather than because of the will of the governor. They also used their influence to use royal vetoes on acts of the Virginian Assembly, which might affect their own interests. For example, an act was passed in the colonies, which would build a lighthouse at Cape Henry. This was a very useful idea. The way to pay for this was a new tax on shipping of a penny per tonne of shipping. The merchants of Virginia and Maryland worked together to bring about a royal veto, and this delayed the building of the lighthouse until 1772. This tactic was used again and again and again. Import duties on everything from liquor to slaves were vetoed, forcing the colony to raise money through taxes on the purchasers within the colony. In 1731, they went as far as to propose that Parliament annul all laws regarding trade and navigation made by the Virginian Assembly, and not to allow legislation on these matters in future. Gooch and the Council were furious, and pointed out the chaos this would cause in the colony. Eventually, it was decided not to pursue this particular objective, although the Commons then passed a bill which would prohibit trade from the continental American colonies to a foreign sugar island. Gooch and the Council again protested, and the House of Lords rejected the proposal. However, two years later, the idea was resurrected as the famous Molasses Act of 1733. This placed duties on the purchase of rum, molasses, and sugar in the continental American colonies from foreign sugar islands. 
This hurt every single American colony, which had sold flour, beef, pork, fish, and lumber to the foreign sugar islands in exchange for their goods. The southern colonies were not particularly affected, but the policy was a disaster for the northern colonies. Therefore, they came to the only reasonable reaction. They simply ignored the act. So the Molasses Act had the benefit of producing little income for Parliament, created a thriving smuggling industry in the northern colonies, and really annoyed Virginia. But what were they going to do about it? Eventually go to revolution? <laughs> oh, like that was ever going to happen. This was just an example of the many issues had by Gooch, so that even on matters where Gooch agreed with the merchants, such as the need for tobacco reform, the dialogue was tense and full of mistrust. By 1735, it was time for fresh elections. Considering there had been none since the previous assembly was called in 1727. It was a long session, but Gooch was reluctant. He had a very strong relationship with the previous House of Burgesses, which had been important for his tobacco reform. Once the results of the election were announced, he had even greater reason for Rory, as many of the older members of the assembly were replaced. Gooch was so worried that he was tempted to call a fresh election immediately, although he never followed through on this threat. The assembly did like him, but that said, as soon as they assembled in 1736, their first focus was replacing Gooch's Tobacco Act, which had sought to improve the quality of tobacco being shipped back to Britain. This was blocked by the council, however, and the Burgesses settled for amending the act with suggestions that were palatable for the council and Gooch. It is certainly interesting that Gooch identified an issue which was causing popular dissatisfaction with the Tobacco Act, and that was the clergy. You see, what the Tobacco Act had done was stop planters exporting bad tobacco to England, which included the tobacco stalk. This was needless weight, and made the tobacco less valuable. The planters were just trying to have more tobacco to sell, which is why they did it, even though it added to the depression of the tobacco market, which was harming them all. So, the reform was made, and the price of tobacco increased. This was particularly beneficial for the clergy, who were paid in tobacco. The improvement in the quality saw their pay per year jumping from about 30 to 40 pounds per year to 100 pounds per year. Gooch was worried about what the reaction would be for one segment of society benefiting so much. Indeed, this complex relationship with the clergy would be a significant feature in the history of Virginia. Another interesting factor in the saga of the Tobacco Act is that it was the first time the press entered into the Virginian political arena. It was due to William Parks. Parks had been a publisher and journalist in England before moving to Maryland. 
he founded the Maryland Gazette, which is still published as The Capital, owned by the Baltimore Sun Group. In 1730, Parks moved to Williamsburg and began a printing business, eventually setting up the first newspaper in Virginia, the Virginia Gazette, in 1736. Gooch had used the printing press to anonymously publish defences of the Tobacco Act, but the Virginia Gazette was a whole different animal. There was, after all, freedom of the press. The paper published numerous articles against the Tobacco Act, and speeches opposing it in the House of Burgesses were published. He was forced by all this opposition to make a few further tweaks in 1738, a motion which narrowly passed by 39 votes to 32. Tobacco was the key crop of Virginia, producing something in the region of 90% of income from the goods sent back to Great Britain. It wasn't the only thing, though. Pig iron was sent back, as well as animal skins, pitch, tar, and turpentine. Other goods, such as corn, beef, and pork, were sent to the British West Indies. What do you notice about all of these? They were all raw materials. The colonial system Britain was setting up, and we really do need to spend a few episodes talking about mercantilism at some point, was that the colonies gathered the materials, and Britain manufactured them. Things had not yet reached the levels that they would do in the 18th century, of course, when the resources of the world would find their way to British factories. Indeed, my native town of Manchester was nicknamed Cottonopolis, a name used by several hipster bars, but I digress. Things had not yet reached that level, but in the mid-18th century, the Industrial Revolution was stirring. This naturally annoyed the Virginians, who resented being unable to develop their own manufacturing centres in the interests of Britain. Considering the importance of trade to Virginia, as we've just discussed at length, what the Virginians desired most was peace. In September 1734, Gooch wrote to the Board of Trade that the condition of the colony could be summarised with just two words, peace and plenty. The 1730s were, on the whole, a peaceful time for the colony, but this was disrupted in 1739 by the War of Jenkinsir. Now, what was the War of Jenkinsir, I hear you ask? Well, in the early 18th century, there was a lot of tension going on between Britain and Spain. Britain was concerned that the Spanish were getting too powerful in the Mediterranean, which helped drag them into the War of the Quadruple Alliance against Spain, which lasted from 1717 to 1720. There were also some more conflicts in the 1720s, but the underlying tension never went away. In 1731, a Spanish ship attacked a British ship and cut off the ear of the captain, one Mr. Robert Jenkins, who testified about the event to Parliament in 1738. This was a casus belli to the insulted English, although the name wouldn't be attached to the conflict until over a hundred years after it had ended. In 1739, war broke out, 
and most of the fighting was to take place around the Caribbean, with the English making several attacks against the Spanish provinces in the Americas. The Americans were called upon to provide troops, and that call was led by William Gooch. Well, actually, it's only half true. It was originally led by Spotswood, but his death in 1740 meant that Gooch took over. He set sail south for Jamaica in October 1740, and I'm obliged to mention that one of the Virginian commanders serving in this campaign was Captain Lawrence Washington, half-brother of George Washington. Lawrence would later name the family estate after Admiral Edward Vernon, who captured the city of Portobello, which is where the name Mount Vernon came from. George was eight years old when his half-brother went off to war, but we'll have a lot more to say about George Washington in the future. Anyway, Gooch was absent from Virginia for ten months, during which period the now 89-year-old Reverend James Blair was placed in command. Although Blair was partly deaf, as you would expect considering he was 89, so William Byrd helped. Gooch served during an unsuccessful attack on Cartagena in what would become Colombia, when he was wounded by a 24-pound cannonball. He never fully recovered from this injury. He returned to Virginia in 1741 and resumed control of the colony, sending troops south when reports came in that the Spanish invaded Georgia in 1742. The main worry for the English colonies then became the threat of a French attack from the north. So, the Treaty of Lancaster was signed with the Iroquois, securing the colonies north of the Carolinas. This was crucial because King George's War was breaking out between Britain and France. King George's War, along with the War of Jenkins' Ear, being a theatre of the wider War of the Austrian Succession, which we don't have time to get into at this particular moment. In 1746, Gooch secured troops to be sent north to Albany, and the king chose Gooch to lead the force, although Gooch declined, citing his old age. He was 65 at the time. This campaign didn't go anywhere, and a peace was brought about in 1748. The Treaty of Aix la chapelle brought to a close the wider war of the Austrian succession, which it might be a good idea for us to have a full detour episode on at some point. This closed King George's War in the north and the War of Jenkins Ear in the south. That said, the War of Jenkins Ear had, in effect, been over since 1743. The British and Spanish had been trying to negotiate a peace for years, but were unable to resolve territorial conflicts in Italy, which had been caused by the War of the Spanish Succession, until the War of the Austrian Succession finally calmed things down. At least for a few years. We are, at the moment, only eight years away from the start of the Seven Years' War, which will upset everything again. These conflicts dominated Virginia in the 1740s, while the main internal event was the arrival of a group of Presbyterians, which was quite notable considering the power of the established Anglican Church in the colony. This is where we'll leave things for this week, 
although we are not quite done with Gooch. In our next episode, we'll look at the western expansion of the colony begun by Spotswood. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.